Let's pray for God's blessing on His Word. Heavenly Father, we do turn to You now and know that one of the primary ways in which You lead Your people is through Your Word. And yet You often speak through fallible human agents. And we pray this morning that You would be gracious so that we would look past that human agent and see Christ and His Word as He leads us in triumphal procession. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture passage this morning is Ezra chapter 7, and you'll find that on page 393 and 394 of the Pew Bible, Ezra chapter 7. You may remember a couple of years ago the name Captain Sully. He was the one who performed the, quote, miracle on the Hudson, in which an airliner took off from a New York airport very shortly after takeoff ingested a flock of birds into its engines and quickly had to make a decision of what they were going to do. And he very quickly thought about landing this airliner in the Hudson River. And amazingly, all 155 people on board survived. That's a kind of situation if which if you're on the airliner, you think, God, that there's good leadership around in situations like that. Well, the people of God are in much need of good leadership, and we see Ezra will be sent to the people of God from Babylonia to provide that good leadership. So we read now in Ezra chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Mariath, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzai, son of Bukai, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, had, Lord the God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all that he asked. For the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem. In the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study, to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra, the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra, the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God which is in your hand and also to carry the silver and the gold that the king and his counselors 
have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the free will offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then, you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs, with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and the gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given for you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver them before the God of Jerusalem. Whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence. Up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests or the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who will judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God. And those who do not know them you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of your king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation or for his goods or for imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. A number of years ago, Sally and I were eating dinner out at a restaurant with another couple and they were members of a different church which was searching for a new pastor at that particular time. And as we talked about their desires for their pastor, one of the things that they said to us was that really there's only one or two men who could lead this particular congregation. Sally and I did not say anything, but we spoke afterwards about it and thought, well, there's a very interesting way to view your own church and these particular two men. And I would say really what those people needed was actually the kind of leaders who would walk them humbly before the Lord. We often need leadership even when we don't realize it. We have blind spots in our lives, things that we don't see about ourselves, spiritual failings, moral failings, in which we don't recognize the ways in which we are not living up to the Word of God and we very much need leadership to come alongside us and to show us the way to go. Now, God's people in this particular situation are very much in need of leadership. In fact, when Ezra is sent back from Babylon, back to Jerusalem, 
He is given the particular charge in verse 14. You are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. In other words, he was to investigate the spiritual state of the people of God at this particular time. And he was to provide leadership for them so that they would not remain as they are, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And really, the rest of the books of Ezra and Nehemiah reveal to us just how much the people of God needed leadership. In fact, if you were to read through the book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi, who was most likely prophesying in these days or shortly after, reveals a host of moral issues, a priesthood which was corrupt, unclean worship that was being offered, divorce that was rampant among the people of God, complaining against God, perfunctory worship in which people are just coming and doing their duty, but they have no real love and no real heart for God. And so the Lord here once again gives great provisions through the king of Persia. Certainly amazing provisions for the temple, but beyond that, provisions of leadership, which is the primary thing that the people of God needed. Because actually... Leadership, human beings who love the Lord, who want to walk before the love Lord in humility and in trusting in His grace, those are the greatest resources that God could actually give to His church. Not all the other wealth that the king pours out upon the people of God here. And so now the temple has been rebuilt, but there's need for spiritual leadership one thing to build a physical temple it's a whole different thing to build the spiritual temple of God in which the people of God are growing more and more into the image of Christ and so the Lord provides Ezra this man to lead his people and we see a little bit of his pedigree here in the first five verses where Ezra we're, spoke, we're told here is the son of Sariah now he is in the line, we are told, of all of the priests that trace all the way back to Aaron, the chief priest. In other words, the writer here is recognizing that Ezra has the authority of God as the priest of God Most High to be the one to go back and to lead the people according to the Word of God. But it's not simply a matter of pedigree here. For all, you can maybe remember from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, where it's the shepherds of Israel, the leaders, the priests, who are fattening themselves while the people are starving. Who are doing all things to benefit themselves, but neglecting the ministry of the Word to the people of God. So it's not a matter of simply pedigree here. Position. But rather that Ezra has the desire to glorify God by building up the people of God. And that's exactly what we see in this particular chapter. Now, good leadership, sometimes at least from a human vantage point, seems very difficult to find. But we ought not to be surprised that Jesus would give good leadership to His church. If He so loves His bride that He is willing to come and pay for her ransom, 
through His own blood on the cross, surely He would be gracious enough to provide good leadership for His people because He so loves them. You are of infinite worth to Christ so much that He gave His own life for you and surely He would provide you with the kind of leadership that you need to be able to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. But it's also a lesson here to leaders themselves that these are the kinds of things that leaders do. The things that we see Ezra doing here. And so it's one sense a promise to us as the church that God will provide leadership at right times. And certainly we've read and affirmed in our affirmation of faith this morning that He has given some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. God will give leaders, but not only that, what He wants from His people is to follow quickly on the heels of good leaders. He gives those pastors and teachers for what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That we would fall fast on the heels of those who are seeking to lead us to know Jesus better. So God's people need leadership here. And what we see are three things. Leadership, first of all, to set a pattern of life around the Word. A pattern of life around the Word. Now we often think of the prophet as the one who is the minister of the Word. But actually in the Old Testament, it was the priest who was primarily the minister of the Word. The prophet revealed revelations of God, but the priest had the ongoing duty of each and every Sabbath to instruct the people in the Word of God. The book of Leviticus chapter 10, verses 10 and 11 declares that the priests are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Here is Ezra. He is the priest. And it is his particular task to teach the people of God the Word of God. Verse 25, we're told that he was to appoint magistrates and judges who will judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and those who do not know them, you shall teach. Now he was given that charge because the king recognized that he was a man who knew the Word of God. Verse 6 tells us that he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. And the reason that he was skilled, verse 10 tells us, that Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Now it doesn't matter how gifted a leader is in terms of personality or in terms of his charisma. If he's not a man who lives under the Word of God, he does not benefit the people of God. And so here this leader is to set the pattern of life around the Word. And the first thing that he does is he studies. He set his heart to study the law of God. Now Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, likens our growth as Christians as those who are growing in the Word of God like an athlete or a soldier training, preparing themselves, laboring hard. And in fact, he speaks of the Word of God training us in righteousness 
Why? Is because we've been studying it. And Ezra has set about to be on this regiment of training, you might say, where he's taking in this regular, steady diet of the Word of God, devouring it, you might say, so that he might know it and know God, know God's ways among His people, know God's ways in the world, know the ways in which we would be able to honor and glorify God. You see, he wanted his whole being, his mind, his heart, his soul, his will to be saturated with the Scriptures. Last week, I talked about how in many ways, earthly treasures are sort of like vines that grow up on a tree and begin to slowly over time choke it to death. Well, Friday and Saturday, Sally and I spent many hours in our yard. We were pulling out vines and we were cutting down trees and we were tearing out all kinds of things that had grown up over the years. And one of the things that I noticed is trees became, uh, came down as if vines were pulled out of bushes and trees as all of a sudden sunlight came in. Nourishing sunlight that could grow plants that we want to grow. And the study of the Word of God is much like that. It begins to tear down all those earthly treasures, all those idolatries, all those sins that choke us so that the sunlight of God's Word can be able to penetrate further, further, and further into our hearts. So here Ezra begins to study the Word of God that he might be saturated with it, but also to do the law of God. James says if we're not doers of the Word, we're much like a man who looks at himself in a mirror and goes away and forgets what he looks like. What's the purpose of the study of the law of God, of the Word of God, if we don't actually put it into practice? It will profit us nothing if we do not do it. And the mature Christian is the one that wants to live under the Word of God. You remember the centurion from Luke chapter 7 who had heard of Jesus' fame. And he sent elders of the Jews to Jesus to say, Please come. This is a worthy man. He has a servant who is ill. Would you come and heal him? But before Jesus arrived, the centurion sent other men to Jesus to say, I am not worthy for you to come under the roof of my house. I'm a man under authority. And I give commands to my troops who are under my authority. And they do what I say. You just give the word. And I trust it will be done. You see what he was saying? He's saying, I'm a man under authority too, and I, I recognize what it means to be under authority. And whatever you say will be done. And that's the mark of a mature Christian that you study the law of God and then you look at the Lord and you say, Lord, may Your will be done in my life. We pray every Sunday, Thy kingdom come. And it ought to be the disposition of every Christian Lord, Thy kingdom come in my heart first and foremost so that I would do Your will and obey You in everything. And then finally, Ezra not only set out his heart to study the law and to do it, but also to teach it. And it's only the person who studied it and who actually does it who is able to teach it. You know, God's people want good teaching, don't they? 
They want to know what am I supposed to do? How do I honor God in this particular area of my life? And you see, it's only the person who's so saturated with the Word that the law of God actually turns into wisdom to know how to teach people, how to apply it in life. One of the reasons that the people of God needed Ezra so badly is because at this particular time in Israel's life, they very much needed to know how to apply what Moses had given to them to a whole new context. They had gone after, uh, out uh, into exile into Babylon and they needed to know how am I supposed to live as the people of God in a foreign land? And now that they've come back, how am I supposed to live as the people of God who've been brought back and there are foreigners living in our midst and life is not as it should be. How should I live here? And there is much wisdom needed. And you know as well as I do that we live in a very complex world in which we don't often know how to apply the law of God. And what we need more than anything is to have such biblical instincts because we've been so saturated in the Word that now we know what to do. We know where to go. And we know where to step our feet. Ezra here in verse 6 of chapter 7 was spoken of as a scribe who is skilled in the law of the Lord. Now the word skilled there simply means quick. He was speedy. Now for a scribe that was important if he was taking down dictation. But he is quick in the Word of God because what? He studied it so much that now he's very quick at applying it. It's turned into wisdom and understanding so that he knows what to do with it in life. And that's Paul's prayer for the people of God. The book of Colossians, that we would increase in the knowledge of God, in the understanding of His will, so that we would be able to do it. So that we would be able to live it out in all circumstances so that we would be wise you might say and so the leader first of all sets before this this pattern of living our lives around the word of god of studying it ourselves of doing it living it out and when the time comes even though we not may not be an elder in the church we may not teach sunday school but when that friend comes along and says i don't know what to do here we're able to teach say, now here's what God says. Friends, if this is not the pattern of your life, decide today that it will be. That you will spend the rest of your lives studying the Word of God. That you will spend the rest of your lives submitting to the authority of God's Word so that you do it in life. That as God makes you a wise and understanding person, you would be able to teach others by the way in which you live and the way in which you communicate the truth and the wisdom of God's Word. And so the ministry of Ezra here was really to make the people of God a people of the book. But we need leaders for another reason too. And that is to enlist the help of others. To enlist the help of others. The decree that Artaxerxes gives to Ezra is this, verse 13. I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. 
And so there are many people who are going to be returning with Ezra. And what we're told here is that Ezra enlists their help. Verse 25, he is to appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river. All such as know the laws of your God. So what does he do in verse 28? We're told the very last phrase, I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Israel, uh, Ezra knew that he needed help. He is not a one man show. No human being is. And so he needed help and he needed to develop leaders, much like Jethro came to Moses in the book of Exodus and said, now, Moses, you cannot govern a million people. You must set judges over them. Judges over a thousand, judges over a hundred, judges over fifty who will be able to make judgments about how the people ought to live. Ezra very wisely seeks to do the same thing, enlisting the help of others. It's really the work of Jesus, isn't it? You think about Christ who came. Certainly, if anybody is capable to lead the church as a one-man show, it's Jesus. And yet, what does he do? But he begins to incorporate fallible human beings into his ministry. And as the Father sent him, he sends them into the world just like he sends us. And so a wise leader begins to enlist the help of other people, getting them into places where they can serve, helping them to identify what their gifts are, helping them to figure out, now how can you be a blessing in this church? How can you be a blessing in the kingdom of God in this particular community or whatever community in which you live? Now it's always risky to do that. Some leaders want to gain control for themselves. They want to hoard that control. And they want to say, I will entrust it to no one. But you see, the biblical pattern is for leaders to incorporate others and say, yes, this is risky because it was risky for Jesus to use fallible human beings like you and me to serve his purposes. But the wise leader follows Jesus' example and begins to do the same thing. Now, what I want to tell you, if you're a member of this particular church this morning, is that I am so thankful that God in his goodness has given a real spirit of willingness to serve to the members of this congregation. And what a great blessing that is, not only to the whole body, but to me as a pastor and to the leaders of this church. That there's that spirit of willingness that is at root and at work here. And my friends, that only comes from Christ. It's not the work of man. It is the imprint of Jesus that He has put His stamp upon us. We would seek to say, whatever needs to be done, I will do. And it's the work of the leaders to begin to channel that willing spirit and to say, now where do we need to go from here? And how can you be a part of that? But if you've never done this, I would encourage you to do this. And I know I'm putting our elders on the spot here. But if you've never gone to your shepherding elder and said, now how could you use me? I would encourage you to do that. How could you use me? What are my gifts? Where do you see me fitting into the ministry here at Reformation? 
Or do you see me being a blessing to the community here for the name of Jesus Christ and the growth of His kingdom? If you've never done that, let me encourage you to do that. But also let me say this, give your elder time to consider who you are and how God has made you. To consider what your gifts and abilities are. To consider what your maturity level in the gospel is. And then when he says, now here's a good idea for you. Follow his advice. Listen to him. And use that willing spirit to move forward. Well, we need certainly to have leaders to set a pattern of the word, but also to enlist our help. But finally, this. To follow God's lead. To follow God's lead. Ezra's position here in the kingdom of Persia might have actually been an official one. Because the kings of Persia, one of the things that they would do is they would have advisors. Mentioned seven counselors here in this particular letter. And those advisors were from different lands and different peoples and they would advise the king. Here's what the laws of our land are and here are how our people will respond to your leadership. And it may be because Ezra has this position that he is the one who actually puts the request before the king Artaxerxes in verse 6. We're told that the king granted him all that he asked. So Ezra is the one who goes with great courage before the king to make this particular request that he would be able to go back and teach the people the Word of God. And so we're told in verse 27 at the very end when his request is answered, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. Because of that, he says, I took courage. I took courage. Brings to mind Esther, who went before the king. You remember Esther, right? Her uncle. Mordecai heard word that Haman, one of the king's men, wanted to kill all the Jews in Persia at about this particular time in history. And Mordecai went to Esther and said, now you must do something as the queen. And Esther said, now wait a minute, you know that anyone who comes before the king in his chamber without being requested will be killed. And Mordecai encouraged her. And eventually she responded by saying, if I die, I die, but I will serve the Lord. Here Ezra has that same kind of courage that he might go to the king and make this great request. And you might wonder if you were in his circumstances, would you go before the king? But here's the answer. You see, there's a refrain in this chapter and in the next we're told that the good hand of the Lord his God was on him. It's repeated three times in this particular chapter. The good hand of the Lord was upon him. You see, every godly leader has this sense that somehow they feel the weight of God's hand beginning to press down upon them. That even though they may feel like they're being pushed off a cliff at times or maybe feel like uh, Uriah who was 
told uh, to step forward while all the others step back and he was killed. Sometimes we feel as though we're a sheep to the slaughter. There's this sense where God is pressing his hand down upon us. And we feel that great burden to do his will. And it's the very same thing that Ezra began to feel here too, is that the good hand of the Lord was upon him. So that he could say, if it's the good hand of God, then though it cost me my life, I will do it. Paul, the Apostle Paul, felt that same thing so that he could write to the Corinthians, it is the love of Christ that compels us. Compels us constantly pushing us forward to go farther down the road in serving God in every way that we can. For Ezra, I think it was this sense of God's hand pressing down upon him that would make him leave a very comfortable position in Persia as an official to the king to go out into the great unknown. What's going to happen to me? He didn't have an answer for that but he felt the good hand of God pressing down upon him. Friends, that kind of burden for serving the Lord is not something that's just for a select few of leaders. It's something that's for all the people of God that we would all feel that burden. That there would be very little discrepancy between the leader and his way of life and his zeal for the kingdom of God and the rest of God's people To do the same thing. Because we begin to feel the heavy weight of God's hand pressing down upon us too. You remember how the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 of Hebrews spoke of that great hall of faith? Certainly people like Moses, people like David, people like Elijah who served the Lord out of faith. And then if you were to move forward in church history, you you come across the early martyrs who gave their lives for the kingdom of God. The church fathers. Great theologians like Augustine. Athanasius, who defended the natures of Christ that He is both God and man. We come along to the reformers of Martin Luther and John Calvin and Zwingli who devoted their whole lives to God and His kingdom. Maybe even to more modern day people who have served the kingdom well. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Billy Graham. And as the writer of Hebrews says, there's this great cloud of witnesses that are watching. And then all of a sudden, it's as though you, you feel the baton being pressed into your palm. And maybe you don't feel like I can grab hold of it. Maybe I'm too afraid. But it's as though the good hand of God is constantly pressing it into your palm until finally you hear the words of God say, take it, my child. I am with you. You slowly grab the baton and you feel the same burden that Ezra felt to follow God's lead and to serve Him in every way that you can. Friends, that's the kind of burden that we want to have. And you see, when we have godly leadership in our midst, leaders begin to put their footprint down in our lives and make their mark so that we begin to follow them. 
while they follow Jesus. And when that begins to take place, the world begins to watch and great transformation begins to take place. Friends, that's what we want. So that I would say, and you would say, let's go forward with everything that we have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would continue to equip the leadership of this church to lead in these ways. And that You would help every particular member of this congregation to follow quickly on their heels. To look at their lives and say, now that's what I want to do. I want to give my whole life completely to the service of God. We pray that as that begins to take place more and more, that Jesus would be glorified and your kingdom would be built. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.